Marini's Media. Totally Football Show, European edition. In today's show, this is a Pokol Cup for Pokol people. Bayern Munich claim another triumph. Barca from Mezkeon Club to Club in a Mess. But will a big win against Villarreal help them get back on track? Serie A, we've got the Derby del Sud. Ronaldo scoring a free kick and why Inter couldn't get past the Bolognese. Plus Portugal, the Benfica blow-up, all that and more. In this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. man who always had the winning score, Ennio Morricone there. And a fine way to begin today's continental edition of the Totally Football Show, which features uh, squinting warily at each other and nervously fingering the barrels of their mic. Uh, Alvaro Romeo, hello. Hello. Hello, Alvaro. James Horncastle's with us too. Good day to you. Raphael Honigstein, hello. Hello, James. Hello, Rafa. And possibly the most crucial component of today's panel, Julien Laurence. Bonjour. Hola. Right, what are we going to be talking about today, guys? Bite-sized headline time. Rafa, what have you got for us? Oh, I've got Bayern winning their 20th uh, Pokal in Berlin against Leverkusen. Nice. Like it. Okay, Alvaro? It has to be Real Madrid um, coming closer to another league title and a lot of VAR controversy in Spanish football. Hurrah, looking forward to that. James Horncastle, have you got a, a shock for us? Well, we haven't had a nil-nil yet in Serie A since the restart. Lots of goals and uh, Atalanta just keep on winning. Eight wins in a row now, James, and it looks like they might catch at least one of Inter or Lazio. Wow. And Jules, not too much for you to tell us about, I'm guessing. Pre-season continues in France, uh, but we had a mess in Bordeaux where Paulo Sousa is uh, looking to leave the club and we've had Lille on, on the verge of making a huge profit on one of their players again. All right, we'll find out who later on. But right now, it's time to start in Germany. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, part of The Athletic Podcast Network. And if you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, make sure you check out their coverage of each and every Premier League club by taking out a free 30-day trial by heading to theathletic.com slash totally. Get on! Wieder ist Tabsoba, der, der das Abseits aufhebt, Lewandowski, Radetzky, aber die Fahne geht hoch. That's the sweet sound of another Bayern Munich win. Saturday at the Olympiastadion in Berlin, Bayern claiming their second trophy in a fortnight, winning the German Cup final, the Pokal 4-2 over Bayer Leverkusen. It's their 17th win in a row this season, which is a German record. Their 13th double of their extraordinary history. And Rafa, another brilliant performance all round, eh? It was, James, although Bayern weren't even at their best. They were a little bit sloppy in the second half when they probably felt the game was over. Maybe it was, they were 2 0 up, but Leverkusen created lots of chances. They didn't take them, and at the back they made some terrible mistakes. And I guess it was all summed up in one 60 second spell when Kevin Folland missed a, a sitter, really, um, complete air shot. And on the other side, Bayern attack. Lewandowski shoots a half volley, really hopeful more than anything. And Lukas Radetzky makes a terrible mistake and lets it lets the ball creep under 
his legs into the net to make it 3-0. And that, that really kind of summed up summed up the game. Bayern perhaps at only 80%, but it's still miles better than Leverkusen were with 80%. There was a lovely vignette in the build-up to that uh, Kevin Volland miss when Moussa Diaby goes on one of his screaming runs down the flank and actually leaves Alfonso Davis behind for a bit. But, uh-oh, here comes the road runner. Yeah, well, on that occasion, he wasn't quick enough. I mean, Moussa Diaby is just as fast as, as Alfonso Davis. Paris born and bred, of course, uh, Diaby. Of course. I was waiting for you um, to say it. <laughs> but uh, on the losing side, which is also quite uh, common for, for Paris players in the Champions League. <laughs> ah, ah, easy. That's an easy one. Well, luckily, uh, by minute, we'll be adding a little bit more pace on that wing uh, with the arrival, of course, of uh, Leroy Sané. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on transfer matters later on. But Lewandowski, as you say, with the third goal and also the fourth, he gets a brace here anyway, which makes his numbers 51 this season in 43 matches, Rafa. Yeah, a crazy record. Um, he's gone to a different level. He was already unbelievably consistent, but this year just, you know, is is really approaching Messi and Ronaldo figures. I think Bayern and him are hoping that he would be might be in the conversation for the Ballon d'Or. I guess a lot of it comes down to what happens in Lisbon in the final tournament. Um, I think in, in recent years, unless you win the Champions League, you don't really have much of a hope. Um, of course, there's no international tournament, no Euros or World Cup this year to distract from the club competition. So he has a real opportunity there. Um, and I think kind of if you look at his life's work, as it were, I think he probably uh, deserves to be at least in with a shout this year. Okay. Beyond Lisbon, next season, the shape uh, that the Bayern will be taking, Leroy Sané's arrival now confirmed. A lot of suggestions this week that Thiago Alcantara could be heading out the door, though, potentially to Liverpool. Why would this happen, Rafa, and why would this be good for Liverpool? Well, Thiago had a new contract, um, a contract extension negotiated down to the last details. He was supposed to sign it in May. And really at the last minute, he said, look, I don't want to sign it. I've changed my mind without really giving much of a reason. Now, some people in Munich believe that it's because his wife wants to go back to, to Spain with him and the whole family. And perhaps this is a way of running down the contract. He's only got one year left, which would make it made it a lot easier to sign for one of the Spanish giants who I think are all a little bit hamstrung financially this year because of coronavirus. Uh, but then uh, these Liverpool rumours started to emerge, first in the dressing room in Munich, where Bild reported uh, players were, were whispering about that possibility, and then in Spain, where, where they claimed that he had agreed terms with, with Liverpool. Um, from Bayern's perspective, they're in the dark. They haven't had any approach from any team, uh, let alone Liverpool, about him. Uh, Karl-Heinz Rummiger, the chief executive, has said that they don't want to see him leave for free. Hansi Flick, the coach, still wants to somehow change his mind. I think at the very least he'd be happier for him to stay next season and perhaps leave leave for free because if you have to replace Thiago now in this this transfer window, um, I don't think you're going to find a similar player that you can afford. I mean, everything we've heard from Liverpool um, where our um, athletic reporters are, as you know, very in touch with what's really happening, it hasn't been categorically denied but at the same time a lot of cold water has been poured on the idea that Liverpool would be going for him uh, what would he bring to Liverpool well I think he would add a whole new dimension to the midfield he's a ball player he's a possession footballer he's the man for the final pass or for the penultimate pass I think he would add a lot of real class and, and pressing resistance as well but is he at 29 the player that really 
changes to Liverpool to the extent they you know want to spend money that uh, perhaps they could spend on another centre back, for example. I'm just not 100% sure he really fits into their transfer strategy. But considering that he would be able to stay fit, he's a world-class player that can improve any team in the world. Okay. And just before we leave the Bundesliga for now, any word on Kai Havertz? Uh, any concrete rumours about him? Uh, nothing too concrete at this moment. The fact that Leverkusen have missed out on the Champions League, at least via the league, they can still, of course, win the Europa League and qualify that way, has made it less likely that he's going to stick around. He, I think, wants to leave, but he also understands that Leverkusen have um, put out a fee that is going to be very difficult to meet for anyone. So he might be in a position where he just has to wait. You know, the only way to to make this big move is to wait until football's finances are rebounding, hopefully next summer. So not a foregone conclusion that he will leave, even though it is very much his ambition. OK, then. More German news, as I say, a little bit later on. Next up, though, it's Sunday night's big game in La Liga. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Sunday night just outside Valencia, inform Villarreal hosting Barcelona team in crisis. Their midweek draw with Atletico Madrid had made coach Setien's position insostenible according to the papers, while the sight of their big signing Antoine Griezmann sitting on the bench had his family and Julian Laurence in tears. Sunday night, though, not only did Barcelona win, but Messi and Griezmann had their best game together yet. So, Alvaro, is everything sorted? It was a very good performance by Barcelona after a very difficult week. Uh, Barcelona started this game seven points away from Real Madrid because Real Madrid got a victory in lunchtime over Athletic de Bilbao. And the week had been pretty difficult, uh, starting with uh, Lionel Messi uh, reportedly um, having uh, uh, halted his contract extension because he wants to wait to see how the situation is going. Apparently, he is not happy with... Uh, the fact that uh, many rumours affect him straight away, like every time the manager is questioned or the sporting director is questioned, uh, they say, or it is said, that Lionel Messi uh, basically has uh, a big influence on that, and uh, he doesn't like that. So he has halted his contract extension, he's going to wait a little bit, and then on the pitch it was a good game by Barcelona. Uh, as Jules uh, will know, uh, they changed the system, so Antoine Griezmann played a bit more up front, uh, where he has been playing with France, and it worked for Barcelona. I don't know if uh, this new system that Setien put in place is going to stay, because uh, at the beginning of his stint as a Barcelona manager, he started playing with three centre-backs, and uh, that didn't last. Uh, there is like a, a tendency to accept uh, that the 4-3-3 is... Uh, Barcelona's uh, formation and it always imposes itself upon some others but yeah with this new system Barcelona played really well I have to say that Villarreal uh, made it very easy for Barcelona opened the door to them many times and uh, the goals were beautiful that's for sure with Antoine Griezmann scoring a similar goal to the one that Messi scored last season against Betis a beautiful uh, lob over the goalkeeper after a good pass from Messi and uh, Luis Suarez scored also a beautiful goal uh, putting the ball in the 
left hand uh, upper corner of uh, Sergio Asenjo's goal. So, yeah, it was overall a good game for Barcelona, but I must say that probably it comes too late. I mean, Barcelona is four points away from Real Madrid, and uh, Real Madrid only needs, uh, I believe, that two wins and two draws to become the La Liga champion. Jules, come on, you want to jump yeah, in I mean, here, it's, I think Kiki Setien listened to the show last week because we said that one way of resolving the problem was maybe to play Griezmann in what was a bit more his position, his natural position. And to do that, you could easily play Messi as a number 10 behind Suarez and Griezmann, which is ex exactly what they did on Sunday and which worked so well. I mean, as long as you played Griezmann out of position and don't give him the ball properly, there was it was never going to work. So I don't think it's a surprise either that they... They had a very good performance, that Griezmann played well, Messi and Suarez as well. Uh, that Barca collectively controlled the rhythm of the game pretty well and the tempo of the game pretty well because they, they also had a formation that worked very well for, for a lot of players. So again, it, I, I don't think it was, for me, it was a no-brainer from a very long time, but it's finally good that they did it. But like Alvaro said, probably too late. Yeah, and that is good because uh, Antoine Griezmann is also one of the big uh, valuable things of Barcelona. I mean, you have to use this guy. He's very good. He knows how to play football. He has proven that. And in La Liga as well, he knows the competition. But uh, he's been so cornered on the left that many times he, he couldn't produce his football. And uh, yeah, it was very good to see that there was a good harmony between Messi and Antoine Griezmann. Unfortunately, all that good harmony that uh, we saw on the pitch, it was, in my opinion... Mm, stained I would say by Bartomeu the president because after the after the game he said that the VAR is always favoring uh, the same team talking about Real Madrid and uh, what happened in Bilbao and uh, I think that this is more than Bartomeu's message is a club message because Gerard Piquet was doing strange gestures uh, while Messi's goal um, on Sunday was checked by VAR. Eventually that goal was disallowed and uh, I understand that it has been a difficult week for the president, for Bartomeu, uh, with Messi allegedly holding his contract, well he has halted his contract extension, with Barcelona basketball team uh, losing the Spanish league final as well, which is not good obviously because they spend a lot of money in a player like Mirotic. But uh, I think that the president of an institution cannot say, basically, that uh, VAR is favoring one team. Uh, he cannot say that this is driven by some obscure powers. You know what I mean? I think that Barcelona are in the position they are because uh, they haven't been good enough. I mean, Real Madrid, they have won seven games uh, after the resumption of the league and Barcelona hasn't been able to, to produce as many good performances. But there, there, there have been some weird decisions going Real Madrid's way, right? Against Athletic Bilbao, there's the penalty that VAR gives them and then they don't check when, when Sergio Ramos walks on, on Raul Garcia's foot. Yeah, there has been, but, uh, but that has been in present tense. But uh, perhaps, I don't remember now, but uh, maybe in August or in September there was a week as well in which uh, Barcelona was favoured. So... I don't know if saying that. I mean, and I can understand that some players may think that, but uh, expressing that publicly is a bit, very different story because uh, from the moment you open that road, I think that you are putting a lot of pressure on the referees for the next game. And the next right. game is uh, Barcelona Español as well. It's a derby against a team that Barcelona can send to the second division for the first time in 25 years. I don't know. I don't think that uh, that is the right thing, but it's true that uh, there was a lot of controversy in Bilbao and many Athletic de Bilbao players complained uh, in their Twitter accounts and yeah, social media about the fact that uh, the penalty on uh, Marcelo was given and the penalty on Raúl García wasn't. But the difference between those two actions 
actions is that in the, the action with Marcelo and Dani Garcia, uh, there was a ball in play, uh, whereas in the Sergio Ramos with Raúl Garcia uh, action in the box, uh, Sergio Ramos steps on Raúl Garcia probably not in a deliberate way, and uh, the ball was nowhere near those players. Well, I'm glad that we don't have presidents courting that kind of controversy, spitting that kind of poison in Italy, uh, James. Casting shadows on the whole kind of refereeing organisation. We'll um, we'll check back on more uh, Liga news a little bit later on. But let's get another of the weekend's big games. Saturday night in Rome, Lazio Milan. Call it beer, call it birra, or even call it cerveza. No matter how you say it, football always goes better with a nice cold one in your hand and that's why we've teamed up again with beer 52 and if you fancy getting a case of eight beers sent to your home for free just head to beer52.com football all you need to do is pay five pounds 95 for delivery beer 52 is the world's most popular monthly craft beer discovery club searching out incredible and exclusive small batch craft beers from around the world every month they focus on a different country or region like croatia belgium norway and even korea there's no minimum commitment you can just take the free case try the beers and see what you think if it's not for you you can pause or cancel your subscription at any time so head to beer52.com football and claim your free case of craft beer right now that's beer and the number 52.com football On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on the Athletic app. This is the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. That's your Milan, James. There's been some classics over the years. This was a pretty one-sided affair, though. A 3-0 win for flaky old Milan. Well, they haven't been all that flaky since the restart. They were unlucky to go out in the Coppa Italia semi-finals on away goals to Juventus. I remember they were down to 10 men early in that game and without Teo Hernandez and Zlatan and still played actually the better football, I thought, in the second half. And yeah, they've been building up steam, um, particularly with a comfortable win against Lecce. And then just as I wrote an article about Milan being not back, but certainly showing encouraging signs, they drew at Spal. But I think they showed that that was the aberration um, because the performance against Lazio, I think, was... One of the best under Stefano Pioli, um, up there with the first half in the Derby della Madonnina when they were 2-0 up and ended up losing 4-2, but played really well. And you have to say that this team now has a great structure to it. Um, Zlatan was back. He came on and made a cameo in uh, the draw in Ferrara. But they're not so reliant on him anymore. Anti Rebic came off the bench, kept scoring, as he's been doing pretty much um, since uh, January. Um, Chalinolu, yeah, he has been making the difference as well. So I think Pioli deserves a lot of credit for finding solutions to a lot of Milan's problems. Um, and I think the, the January transfers that they made as well, with Simon Kier uh, and Salamakas coming in, um, yeah, they've helped kind of fill some of the holes that, they were, that were in that team. So good stuff from Milan. I think there's, there's lots of encouragement to go into this midweek game with Juventus because Juventus will be without... Paolo Dybala, the most informed player in Italy at the moment, the talk of, of Italian football, and also Matthias De Ligt, who's been sensational, really, since since February, um, has fully adapted now to, to Italian football. But we look at this game, I think, and we're looking at Milan 
to keep the title race alive um, because in, in some respects by beating Lazio uh, they put a major dent in in one of the challenges um, to Juventus's crown because both of them lost this weekend Lazio and Inter allowing Juventus to pull seven points clear seven points now between Juve but Milan on the horizon uh, that's coming up on Tuesday night and uh, as you mentioned it was ever so tight between the two teams in the Coppa Italia uh, semis Juve knocking out Milan on a very controversial last-minute penalty in the in the leg at, at San Siro. Uh, Juve 4-1 winners themselves this Saturday in the derby have looked like a different team since the restart, uh, with Ronaldo even scoring a free kick. How many attempts did he have before he finally put one away for Juve? 43 in the league. <laughs> CR7 3 a 1 per la Juventus traiettoria magica da parte del fenomeno portoghese I think if I were Juventus and I were negotiating his contract what two years ago I would have said we're going to pay you 10 million a year and we'll put on another 20 million a year we'll activate that when you score a free kick um, because it's, ah. take, it's taken him two years and the thing is they have Paolo Dybala and Miralem Pjanic uh, on the team who are both extremely good um, free kick takers. In fact, uh, I feel a little bit sorry for Pjanic, if you can, for for a player who will be moving to Barcelona and will earn very well there. But he's he's gone from the last two years of really not being able to take a free kick because Cristiano's on the team to not going to be able to take a free kick at Barcelona either because Messi's on the team. But um, yeah, it was it was kind of a different free kick from Ronaldo. The ones that we associated him with it, with him scoring when he's not blasting them into Rose Ed or into the wall um, are kind of full power strikes um, where ultimately the goalkeeper is undone by the swerve and the way the, the the ball moves. This was a much more kind of delicate, finessed kind of uh, one where he lifts it over the wall. He doesn't hit it full power. It's 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 kind of placed. So. Um, you know, obviously working alongside Dybala and uh, Pjanic uh, every day of the week has, has rubbed off on him a little bit. Very nice indeed. Seven points, the gap between Juve and Lazio. Even if Juve were to come a cropper against Milan Tuesday in Turin, Lazio, is there a suggestion that they've maybe run out of steam a little bit? Two defeats in four now. I think what's really done for Lazio is they had all the momentum um, with them just before uh, the pandemic hit and the league was suspended. And now the new format, where it's a shortened season and having to play every three days, hasn't helped them at all. Because I think one of the reasons we were so confident Lazio could take Juventus all the way this season was because they were out of the cup competitions and they had a squad that was capable of playing once a week. And instead, they're now having to play three days a week. And you've seen at the weekend, I mean, one of the, the main reasons why they were kind of toothless was um, Immobile was suspended, Caicedo was out. Um, they'd had to rush back a few players. Lucas Leiva, who recently had knee surgery. Um, yeah, they, they were playing Luis Alberto and, and Joaquin Correa up front. And if you look, I mean, the substitutions that they made in the second half, just to give them a little bit of a focal point up front, they ended up putting on Bobby Adekanya, who they signed from from Liverpool for next to nothing last summer, who hasn't really had a look in. And I think that's a kind of sign of, I think their squad was deep enough to play once a week. And and now I think that's really caught up with them. We should also say that Juventus have had a kind of quite soft start um, to coming back to play. Obviously, they, they played two games before the league restarted. That allowed them to get their kind of match rhythm going. And then they played kind of easy teams, I would say, for the most part. Whereas Lazio have had a quite a tough 
uh, beginning, you know, starting out in Bergamo against Atalanta, who are in top form, and obviously playing it against Milan at the weekend. So, yeah, the hope is is that Juventus drop points in midweek, and then when they play Atalanta at the weekend. So this week's big for Juventus to if 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 they can if they can get uh, good results against those two teams, I think we can declare the title race over. Well, ahead of that Atalanta game, you spoke to Martin Deroom. We could hear maybe a little bit more about that chat later on, and also whether it's true that Daniele De Rossi is going to be taking over at Fiorentina. Uh, Next up, though, it's time on our whirlwind tour of the Continental Game to head to Portugal. All right, little check now on Liga Nos. We're joined on the line by Carlos Santos, Portuguese football expert. Hello, Carlos. Hello, thank you for having me. Well, we're delighted to have you on board, actually, Uh, especially with things coming to a crux in Liga Nos. Uh, four games to go. We've got a clear leader, but it's not the one we were expecting, eh? Exactly. Uh, halfway through the season, a lot of uh, a lot of people were already considering this uh, a win for Benfica. But the truth is that uh, Porto really uh, is really coming through, and uh, all the fuss going uh, going inside Benfica regarding the coaches, even regarding the the presidency. Now we're going to have uh, new elections. Um, Everything came into play here, and uh, apparently, uh, Befica players at a at a certain point they stopped doing things right. There were a lot of changes in the team because after the restart of the championship, things just weren't working out, and uh, Porto just Porto took advantage of it. And uh, currently, uh, the way things are shaping up, um, and considering that uh, there are four matches to go. It's Porto's championship to lose. There, no, there's no right. question about it. They're six points clear now. They had been seven behind Benfica before this colossal Benfica blow-up happened. So uh, Bruno Lage paying the price last week, fired by the club after their two-nil defeat to Maricimo. What exactly happened to them? You mentioned the fact that the players weren't maybe doing things right. Was the suggestion that he'd lost the dressing room? That's one of the things that you read, uh, not only on social media, but in the core of Benfica fans. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of fans, uh, they suppose and they say that uh, Bruno Lage really lost the, the dressing room and that players just weren't playing for him anymore. And to be honest, when you look at, at what's happened since Nelson Verissimo uh, now took over uh, Bruno Lage's job, I mean, they're three, three nil, three nil up uh, against Boavista, a team that was doing uh, relatively well since the restart of the quarantine um, at the break last week. So, how can I say this? It's it's not a, an easy position for Benfica to be in because they had a lot, uh, they had a lot bad in this in this championship. Currently, when you look at the squads uh, and you look at Porto's squad and you look at uh, Benfica's squad, you can see the difference. In the sense that their, their squad is much better. Exactly. Benfica's squad is much better. Porto doesn't have the same solutions that Benfica has. Benfica have much better solutions than, uh, than Porto. When you look at Porto's bench, I have a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, friends who are Porto fans. And I, I, there was a certain point that where, where they just turned to me and said, Carlos, I, I really don't know <laughs> almost any of the, of the Porto players on the bench. And moreover, since the start of quarantine, when Sergio Conceição started to bet a bit more on the on the youth uh, on the youth players, like now we just we just saw yesterday Fabio Vieira uh, scoring a free kick from outside the box. It was really good uh, for uh, for uh, for the youngster. But the truth is that when you go to Porto's bench and you go to Benfica's bench, 
you see, even in terms of value for, uh, for the players, you see the difference. So that's why, for me, it's Benfica's big loss. This is a big loss for Benfica. Strange, though, because Bruno Lage had uh, a, a decent run when he came in last season and had started this campaign well. Is it entirely his fault that the, that the wheels had come off so completely? It's certainly not entirely his fault. Certainly not. What I think is happening with Benfica right now, it's uh, the result of many years of bad choices. This was an implosion. So it came from the inside. Why? Because when you look back, since uh, Jorge Jesus, that's now in, uh, in Flamengo, there hasn't been a charismatic coach, like a, a, a coach that one can say that, okay, this, this is actually a, a, an international level coach. This is a very good coach. You know, of course, there were very decent coaches uh, taking over Benfica, even winning championships like Rui Vitoria. But at the same time, there wasn't a true coach that you can say, okay, this is a coach for a big team. There wasn't since Sorge Zouche. And what happened is the president has been um, fixing mistakes by just picking coaches from, don't have the name, the same name as Jorge Zouche had. They don't have the same charisma and many times just finding solutions inside the club, like Bruno Lage. Um, but that doesn't work long-term. And that's, that's what, for me, that's what happened to Benfica. It's an implosion. Who'd have thought that a former Sheffield Wednesday assistant manager wouldn't be up to the job? Carlos, thank you so much for bringing us up to date on the situation there. Four games to go in Liga Nos. We'll be keeping an eye on that with great interest. Liga. I'm done with you yet, Alvaro. You mentioned that uh, Real Madrid, four points clear. What's all these 1-0 wins with Sergio Ramos penalties that they're having? Thanos 1 says, is this Madrid team of Zidane becoming Atletico 2.0 with their defensive setups? Not yet, but uh, it's true that uh, this Real Madrid has had many, many faces. Uh, I remember three years ago, or a couple of years ago, when Zidane was still in charge. Uh, they were very leaky defensively, and uh, suddenly... This year they are very good uh, when it comes to defense and I think that everything improved a lot for Real Madrid since mid-October more or less after losing to PSG 3-0, losing to Mallorca, um, just having a couple of really disappointing uh, results. I think that they started uh, going back to the basics. I, I hate saying this sentence because I think that it's a cliche but in this case it's very true James because uh, Thibaut Courtois was uh, a goalkeeper who was uh, under a big questioning and he became uh, from... October onwards, uh, probably one of the best, if not the best, uh, goalkeepers in Spain, and uh, he's been sensational. Uh, Sergio Ramos uh, has been astonishing, and we'll talk about him in a few seconds. And then Benzema and uh, Casemiro, they've been part of that large straight backbone that Real Madrid has in the center of the pitch, with uh, Courtois, Sergio Ramos, Casemiro, and Karim Benzema. I think they are the most important players. Then the rest of the players, I wouldn't say that they are peripheral, but Real Madrid without those four, they wouldn't be where they are now. Okay, yeah, maybe Rafael Barang was almost or is almost as important as Sergio Ramos when it comes to defensive duties. But what do you, what do you say about these numbers? I mean, Sergio Ramos has capitalized the last 22 penalties he has taken. He has scored 10 La Liga goals this season, 12 overall in this football season, and 122 official goals in his career. We're talking about the defender that uh, he didn't come to this world to, to go unnoticed. I mean, he's a player who takes responsibility, he likes it, and um, 
quizás bien de estar of Real Madrid all together with Benzema ever since the resumption I mean he scored the beautiful free kick as well against Mallorca and uh, probably his biggest sorrow is the fact that he won't be playing against Manchester City uh, at the Etihad because he received a yellow a red card in the first leg against the citizens but uh, in general terms this is one of the best Sergio Ramos uh, seasons and we have to remember that he's already 34 And he's suspended for the next game, albeit only against Alaves, but him and Carvajal will be missing out. So he's been, as Alvaro just said, the savior for the last few games. So mm. it'd be interesting to see. And, and with Karim Benzema probably going to jail very soon over the sex tape, now that we know there'll be a trial, maybe the next few weeks will be a bit more dis difficult for Real Madrid, you know? Karim Benzema, the best player in La Liga. Of course, uh, of course. A call from Julian Laurence. Last yeah, point. I mean, he has the best goal of last of the season against Valencia, and certainly the best assist of the season as well. For um, do you think that's why Messi for went for the back heel for uh, for Griezmann's goal? He was trying to get in on that as well. It's not real. It's not really a back heel, Messi, right? He just put it's, it's, he put <laughs> the ball under his soul and then just leave it. Really, it's not like come on, <laughs> Alvaro. Where's Hammers going? Hammer Rodriguez. Mm. Sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't hear. Oh, no, yeah, James Rodriguez. I mean, do yeah. you know other James is? James <laughs> <laughs> Roncastle? I'll tell you where James Roncastle is no, going. No, no. Nowhere <laughs> right now. You know, he didn't play last weekend. Uh, he was out of the squad uh, because um, he asked Zidane permission to do it. And uh, Zinedine Zidane gave it to him because uh, James Rodriguez is no longer an important player at Real Madrid. I find it very difficult that he will stay at the club. Um, I think that uh, his departure and Gareth Bale's departure are not going to be easy to monetize because these players, they have lost uh, some value in the last years, but uh, Zidane doesn't really count on them this season, especially with Hammer Rodriguez. He's a, he's a player who played so important games in the first half of the season, but uh, his uh, impact in the team has diluted a lot. I could ask where Gareth Bale's going to go, but I bet you... Don't have any. No, I, I really, really don't know. I really don't know. Okay. I mean, and there has right. been like a reports and rumors and all that, but uh, at the same time, mm. the player doesn't doesn't want to leave Real Madrid. Right. And well. Jonathan, Jonathan Barnett, uh, I think that he he has expressed that in many many ways. Alvaro, what else has happened in La Liga? There's a very special goal from the second division. We should we should cite the incredible uh, Christian Santos. Uh, overhead kick, but a wonderful sweeping move from Deportivo against Huesca. But I bet there's some other stories to talk about as well. Number one is that the uh, Valencia manager was sacked last week, Celades. So at the minute, uh, Valencia has Boro in charge, a caretaker who reminds me a lot of Tom Hagen uh, from The Godfather. Uh, you have oh, to yeah? see this guy. Why is he a priest? <laughs> Tom Hagen's the conciliary, yeah. Rafa. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the son is the priest, sorry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Robert Duval. Valencia yeah. has a new manager, and mm -hmm. uh, they are going to miss out Champions League. I mean, they are, I believe, that now 10 points away from Champions League positions, and uh, it's almost impossible that they qualify for that competition. They'll be playing for two years in a row. And uh, there is a turmoil between uh, Valencia fans and uh, Valencia ownership, to the point that uh, the daughter of Valencia's owner, um, Peter Lim, Uh, his daughter tweeted the other day, here again, some Valencia fans are scolding and cursing at my family, and I 
Don't they get it? The club is ours and we can do anything we want with it and nobody can say anything. So this is the level at Valencia right now with an ownership that basically is totally disjointed and detached from the fan base. And uh, the other manager that has been sacked recently is uh, Asir Garitano from uh, Alaves. Okay, just ahead of their clash with Real Madrid. Exactly. Exciting, okay. By the way, did you see, did you see what happened with the Huesca captain? Jorge Polido, he's got a different armband for every away match this season. And this armband celebrates the city or the, the region against which Huesca are playing. It's pretty incredible, to be fair. I've never seen anything like this before. They're playing in the second division, as you said. And every away match, he wore a different armband in tribute to the, the city or the team or the, the, the region against they were playing. It's a lovely gesture. It was a magnificent goal, though, wasn't it, A, that Deportivo scored against Huesca? You have to watch it if you can. It's a cross that comes from the left after a beautiful play by a former Atlético de Madrid player, Mollejo, giving a pre-assist to the assist. And then uh, there was a lot of uh, work to do for the striker, uh, but he managed to uh, make a beautiful bicycle kick and uh, put the ball in the net. Uh, honestly, it was uh, one of the goals of the weekend, definitely. And the people de La Coruña ended up winning 2-1 that game with that goal from uh, Santos. Excellent. Thank you, Alvaro. Next up, a little bit more German news. And Rafa... A little bit of an issue here is the fact that we're still waiting for the second leg of the relegation stroke promotion playoff between uh, Werder Bremen and Heidenheim. Nil-nil, though, in the first leg in Bremen last Thursday. Yeah, it was a very good performance from from uh, Heidenheim, at least defensively. Of course, now uh, an away draw would be enough for Werder. Um, but they were very poor in that first leg, and everybody thought that Bremen's superior quality, you know, the... the the squad is is much better than than Heidenheim's would come to the fore, but again they were a little bit nervous, and uh, Heidenheim played really well. So the dream is still alive, and Frank Schmidt could be the first manager to take a team all the way from fourth division into the Bundesliga by himself. That would be remarkable. Meantime, after narrowly missing out to Heidenheim for that playoff spot against Werder Bremen, Hamburg this week have appointed a new manager, and it's quite a newsworthy appointment, uh, Rafa. Well, absolutely, James and Daniel Tuner there will have the first German-born black manager in the Bundesliga, Bundesliga 2 at this stage, but of course they want to go up with him. He's also 45 and completely different in his profile to Dieter Hecking, who was tried and trusted, had had done lots of success at the Bundesliga. He's a guy that comes from, from Osnabrück, uh, you know, which is a very different level. And for Hamburg, I think a lot of people see it as yet another gamble on on a coach. Uh, they've had so many coaches in recent years. But it's a very courageous decision and um, I think a lot of people, whether they like Hamburg or not, hope both that him and the club will, will find it to be a successful uh, union because it would make for a great story, A, for Hamburg to be back in, and B, for Tuna to be in the Bundesliga. A very outspoken guy, very smart guy, lots of really inter- interesting interviews with him and El Freunde, for example, if you want to fire up Google Translate. Excellent. He is Hamburg's fourth coach in two years. As you say, that's been one or two changes there, but hopefully it works out better for him than his predecessors. Rafa, meantime, we talked about some of the Bundesliga players who could be heading to the Premier League, but heading in the opposite direction, yet more English youngsters. Dan Rose, the 16-year-old Everton goalkeeper, who will be heading to Schalke, which 
He informs this is the Harvard of goalkeeping. And also, it looks increasingly likely Birmingham's Jude Bellingham. Yeah, it's not official yet, James, but it is a, a very badly kept secret that Dortmund have won the race for him. There's lots of interest from him, including Man United, but uh, they've been able to, to convince him that Dortmund is the best stepping stone for his career. Of course, he can look forward to um, playing with uh, Jaden Sancho, hopefully, if Jaden sticks around. But more importantly, look at the proven track record that Dortmund have in, in bringing through uh, players of his, of his age. And uh, yeah, it's a really exciting signing for, for Dortmund. They, I think they needed a midfielder like that, who's a bit more of a blend between energy and, 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 and that kind of box-to-box, but at the same time more um, technical than perhaps the, the central midfielders that they have at the moment. So a real opportunity for him, I think, to break into the side, perhaps not straight away, but over the course of the uh, maybe second half of the next season, um, a lot of people in Dortmund expect him to be a regular. I think they, they rate him very, very highly. Wow, he's still just 17 years old. He was just 16, though, when he became the youngest player ever to start for Birmingham and the youngest player ever to score for Birmingham as well. Uh, hence the excitement. Well, in a second or two, we'll be looking at some of your exciting Twitter questions for the guys and getting the rest of the City and News for the week. Hurrah! City out, James. Inter. Crikey, midweek, they took on struggling Brescia and want them 6-0. Woof! And then this weekend, quite the opposite. They had the chance to take second place in City out, but got beaten at home by Bologna. What's going on? <laughs> well, the game was in their hands, James. Um, they got in front from Romelu Lukaku, and uh, Lukaku... Then made this gesture, they got a penalty and he said, look, I'm not going to take it. I want Lautaro to take it because in some respects, uh, the Belgian's opener um, was all down to Lautaro who'd hit the post with a glancing header and, and Lukaku swept it in. And for the second time of the season, um, basically Inter's designated penalty taker thought, you know, I'm going to be really generous with this. So he lets Lautaro take it. Lautaro's effort is saved. Liadini then um, shoots over. Uh, Bologna are down to 10 men. Uh, I think at this stage as well. So it looked like into a home and hosed. And yet uh, Mihailovic shakes things up, makes a couple of changes. And it's a great story um, what happened because he puts on uh, this Gambian kid called uh, Musa Jurara. And uh, Jurara had uh, only four years ago had uh, left uh, Gambia uh, had uh, walked kind of across you know, several different countries with his older brother and then got on one of those uh, uh, ramshackle boats and crossed over to, to Sicily. Um, and, you know, when he was taken in by the Red Cross in Messina, he wrote his, his status as no parents. Um, and he he was adopted, I think, by a family in Basilicata in the, in the south of Italy, started playing football there, got noticed by a talent scout, and uh, I think went for a trial at Chievo and then um, ended up in, in Bologna's youth academy. And uh, Mihailovic threw him on, uh, and he scored his first goal in the top flight at San Siro. And I think what made this all the more great was that his compatriot, Musa Barro, then got the winner. And Barrow has been sensational since uh, leaving Atalanta in January. And I think this is another story we need to 
to talk about uh, as regards to Atalanta because Atalanta is so good that they can afford to give away players like Musa Baro and Dejan Kulusevski, um, who will be joining Juventus for 42 million at the end of this season. Um, and yeah, Antonio Conte not best pleased with his players. Um, he's accused them uh, only a couple of weeks ago of, of, of not taking their chances and not killing games and uh, was in the dressing room after uh, full time with them for an hour. Um, going over uh, what they need to do if they are to be championship contenders. Um, because I think in some respects, this season has really faded away from Inter. Um, it's become, uh, I wouldn't say disappointing, because at the same time, they will finish higher than they did last year. It doesn't look like uh, qualifying for the Champions League will go to the final day, as it did in both of uh, Luciano Spalletti's seasons. But I suspect more was expected of him, particularly after the transfer spend, not only in the summer, but also in January as well. Mm, indeed. Atlanta, who just won their eighth straight match, are now just one point behind them. We mentioned the fact you had a lovely chat with uh, Martin Darun of the Bergamaschi uh, last week. That's for an, uh, an article uh, on theathletic.com. For anyone who has problems reading Darun, uh, what did he say? What's the <laughs> highlight? Well, he gives a great insight into why Atalanta is so attacking uh, and uh, what the kind of philosophy is from Giampiero Gasparini, who I would say, I, I mean, I, I, I say he feels to me as Dutch as, as you are, Martin, um, because Darun is from, from Holland. And he's like, yeah, but in Holland, we like possession just for possession's sake. Whereas, you know, that's not Gasparini at all. He's like, I don't want a sideways pass. I don't want a backwards pass. Just play forward. If you lose the ball, I don't care. Just keep playing forward. And that's Atalanta. They keep going forward. They keep scoring goals. And uh, Darun was captain of the side uh, on Sunday when they went to Sardinia to play against Cagliari. And I think... You know, one of the things that's been great about how this team has been equipped to play, not only in Serie A, but in Europe as well, contrast that would say Roma, Inter and uh, Lazio, is, uh, yeah, they started that game with Muriel up front, Malinowski and Pasalic behind him. So they rested Ilicic, Papu and Zapata and they still went, uh, went to Sardinia and got the win. Um, and I think that just goes to show how well coached they are, how well recruited they are, um, and why this team, they're not a revelation because they've been doing this for three or four years. I find it kind of amusing when people say you have to watch Atalanta only now when really you've missed three years of them doing exactly the same thing. So they'll get back into the Champions League again. They might even finish second. And as Darun was saying, this new Champions League format, one-off ties, this team can beat anyone on their day anyone um they've got the firepower to do it and there's three games between them and winning a <laughs> winning the champions league trophy which is just ridiculous so as he said at the end of the piece anything can happen wow all right uh, very briefly big game on sunday the derby del sud saw napoli defeating roma uh 2-1 they pulled level with them on points in fifth place in Serie A. on a kind of related note daniele di rossi is he taking over at Fiorentina, James. Fiorentina say this is fake news. You know, they're alarmed by some of the leaks and the stories that are that are coming out. Knowing the guys behind Fiorentina, they're a very ambitious bunch. And I think as much as they respect Iacchini, um, because he is a, an ex-player, he's come into a difficult situation there. They had to change managers in season when they sacked Montella. I think as with Frank Ribéry, 
as with these recent discussions with Thiago Silva about possibly coming in next season, they want a name on that bench, uh, someone who can take them where they want to go, which is back into Europe. Now, whether Daniele De Rossi fits that profile or not, I don't know. I think De Rossi one day will become a very good manager and that that is very much his ambition um, as well. But he hasn't taken his coaching badges yet. He's unable to because, you know, the restrictions imposed by COVID-19 means you can't take coaching badges at the moment. So... Man- Mancini uh, started his career there as a manager without his badges. So, you know, it has it, been done before. He did. He got special dispensation because he had uh, served on Sven-Goran Eriksson's staff um, before. Um, so that's not impossible. Um, but, I mean, Fiorentina's win, when was it? Sunday night, huge for them because they risked again being dragged into the relegation battle for for the second time in consecutive seasons. Remember last year, they went into the final day and needed to get a point with Genoa, as did Genoa. And they got, guess what? They got a point. Uh, <laughs> um, so I think at the moment, Fiorentina don't want any distractions. I think one of the reasons this story is out there is because Daniele Prade, who is the, the sporting director of Fiorentina, long-time sporting director at AS Roma, he is Roman. He knows Daniele De Rossi very well. Um, but... Uh, I don't think this is anywhere near done yet. And uh, I think, if anything, there were just kind of exploratory talks as to what De Rossi wants to do with himself next season. Because uh, I think one of the other key points, the final point I'll make on this, is that uh, Fiorentina tried to sign De Rossi last summer uh, when he as left a player. Roma. Mm. As a player, yeah. Right. Jules, I know you've got something you want to say about uh, what happened on Sunday in Florence. Yeah, only that Frank Ribéry, when he came home from uh, from Parma after the game, found out that his house has been uh, burgled in in Florence, and he was obviously very upset, as you can imagine. The family was still in Munich, uh, so no one was was hurt or anything like this. But it's just never good news. Right, it was a, a Ribéry robbery. <laughs> it, was. it was, but to the point that he's actually he's hinted in his uh, Instagram post that he put out with a video as well, that he's not sure if he, if he wants to stay in Florence then and in Italy if things like that happen. Yeah, I think Fiorentina have, have kind of come out, uh, immediately reacted to that to just kind of say, look, whatever you need, we're here for you. Um, because uh, I think they recognise how shaken it up he is by it. Um, and he's on his own as well. You know, his, his family and his kids are in, in Munich. So, uh, that you know, knowing the guys behind that club, they'll be... Uh, you know, they'll be on the phone to him or they'll be with him as we speak. Uh, I've got no doubt of that. OK, let's get some of your tweets to finish off today's show. Here's one for you, Jules. SWD262 says, Do the panel believe both Neymar and Mbappé will stay at PSG for another season due to the pandemic? Um, even if there had been no pandemic, I think they would have stayed. Uh, they're still under contract until 2022 and they don't want to leave. PSG don't want to sell them. I think next summer will be far more fun because if they haven't renewed by then, there will be only a year left on their contract. So that could be a different story. But for now, it's, it's not even a story. Like, no one talks about okay. it. They, they don't want to go. No, like, yeah. Okay. Rafa, here's one for you. Raj Chohan. What are your thoughts on Leipzig's rumoured move with all the money they got for Timo Werner for Huang from Salzburg? And where else are they going to be splashing their cash? <laughs> 
Salzburg to Leipzig is a well-established uh, route for, for players, of course. I mean, Wang would be a like-for-like replacement. Uh, of course, he plays in a similar position, but I think he is still more of a, of a winger and a provider than, than a real finisher and a striker. In But there's a chance that they might take another Salzburg player in Patson Daka, who's been absolutely sensational for them. Um, uh, forward, uh, more out-and-out forward, if you will. Um, he's been lighting up the... Uh, the Austrian Bundesliga, and I think again, it wouldn't be the hugest of surprises if if Leipzig were to go to their feeder club and uh, and bring another couple of really exciting players through. Brilliant. Okay. And James Aklev Hanif says, could you provide some expert analysis on Lorenzo Amoruso's chances on Italian Love Island? And also, oh, is he back on? Uh, apparently <laughs> so. Apparently so. Jason Robson asks what you think the summer window holds for AC Milan, given their well-documented FFP issues. Well, I'd need to see who else is on um, Love Island in Italy right. to assess Lorenzo Amoruso's Bit of chances. research. He's, he, he was married. I, I, I still thought he was um, with a, a former Miss Italia. Um, mm. So... Uh, you know, God knows what's going to happen. It's pretty there. excellent nominative determinism, isn't it, for a, a show like Love Island to Amarillo? <laughs> Indeed. Um, as for as for Milan, look, it's it's a challenging environment for everyone. They inherited a, a hell of a mess. Um, did did Elliot from not only uh, Lee Yong Hong but also the final kind of tail whip of the Berlusconi era. Remember when there was that B. Taisho Bowl guy? <laughs> they went off and spent like 100 million one summer and then he didn't buy the club and they were like, oh, to God, no, what are we going to do now? Well, I, I, from what I can gather, uh, Milan want a right back. It looks like they've tied up a deal for uh, an under-19 French international from Lyon Jules, Pierre Kalulu. Um, yeah, he's there already, I think. He's there already. It's not been made official yet. Um, and they want a box-to-box midfield player and they want a striker um, as well. And I, I think the reasons for that are as follows. We don't know what's going to happen with Zlatan. I think it's it's it looks unrealistic that Zlatan will still be at the club at this moment in time just because his you know, contract-wise, and I think he's still waiting to find out what the future of the club is, who will be in charge um, next year. Will it be Pioli? Will it be Ralph Raniuk? Um, and uh, yeah, in midfield... I think it's it's evident that they need to to add players around Ismail Benasser, who's been really good, um, and Bonaventura's contract is up, and again, uh, it, it remains to be seen whether that will be extended. I don't think it will at this moment in time. So uh, it's going to be difficult to see them spend a lot of money, um, but I think they've got quite a good recruitment team in place. Um, and I think if you look at some of the signings that they made in the summer last summer, gradually they have come good. You know, Benacer Teo Hernandez has been excellent. I mean, he could have scored another couple of goals in that 3 0 win um, against Lazio. Um, I think right now the priority is, is trying to extend Gigio Donnarumma's contract beyond right. the end of next season. Okay. George, just on the subject of transfers. Uh, you did mention way back at the start some big news about Lille, some Lille big news, if you like. What was that? Yeah, it's just that Victor Oziman and, and Gabriel, but Oziman especially is in Naples right now. They're really hoping to um, to sign him for around 70 million euros for a player that Lille bought for 12 million euros a year ago in Belgium. It would be a hell of a of a profit for them, but that's what they do. That's what Luis Campos is very good at. I think this one we could expect maybe to go through in a few days. Same with Gabriel, the centre-back from Brazil. And then Jonathan David, the uh, the 
Gen striker, uh, the Canadian international, has been identified by Lille to replace then Victor Ozyman if he goes to Napoli. So I think that the only thing is that Ozyman would rather go to the Premier League more than to Italy. But I think oh, he's just been a just... Capri. He's been on a yacht, Jules. He's know, no, he's no, there's no way fairness, he's going to the Premier League now. They've rolled out the red carpet for him, and I can definitely see as why. as they did for Nicolas Pepe last year. Remember yeah, when Pepe, that's, why, that's hel- why I'm saying that. You know, <laughs> they helicoptered Pepe in, and then like the 12 hours later, he was signing a contract with us. No, but I think I think Ozyman <laughs> would be yeah would be would be Naples next season, which is a great yeah. signing for them. Although it's a lot of money, so you'd hope he scores goals. How come Napoli have 70 million euros to spend on him? Ah, that's a very good question, Raf. Uh, I mean, at this moment in time. Uh, maybe they don't have that kind of money, but they forecast it coming in. Look, Napoli have just extended Dries Mertens' contract. They signed Andrea Pitania in January to come in this summer from Spal. Um, so they've already got two strikers. They're signing Ossiman. Where does that leave Arcadius Milik, who's got a year left on his contract? It looks like Milik is on his way out. There's interest from Juventus. There's interest from Tottenham. And the other thing is, you know, Rina Gattuso has been very clear that 75% of the team will still be in place next year. The other 25% is, I think, Milik. And let's see what happens with Khalidou Koulibaly as well, because they signed Amir Rachmani from Hellas Verona in January to come in the summer. He's a, a centre-back. They've got Maximovic, they've got Manolas, they've got Luperto, they've got lots and lots of centre-backs. So I, prob- I think that's where they're going to forecast the money coming in. Hmm. Callahan probably going as well, no? Yeah, Callahan who scored on uh, Sunday night against uh, against Roma, very much part of that uh that great front three, which will go down in Napoli history with Maradona, um, Giordano and Careca, um, the Magica. Uh, but yeah, his contract's up and it doesn't look like it's going to be extended, James. Yeah, Granada was trying to sign Callejon. Oh, yeah. They are trying to make an effort to sign Callejon for next season. But obviously what uh, makes the contract very difficult as well is the fact that uh, Granada doesn't have financial struggles. But of course they are newly promoted in La Liga and they don't have as much cash or as much cash flow to offer Callejon a very attractive offer. But they are going to make a huge effort. All right. Well... Plenty of events still to come then as the European season moves towards its conclusion. That's it for today's show. Uh, Milan Juve, don't forget that on Tuesday. And the Juve Atalanta on Saturday should be huge. Alvaro, Rafa, are there any games you want to flag up? Uh, Rafa, no, there's nothing. In France, lots going on. Alvaro, anything from La Liga? There is one game that stands out, in my opinion, yep. the Barcelona derby, because Barcelona uh-huh. can send Espanyol down to the second division for the first time in a quarter of century. So right. Barcelona has to win it, and if they yep. win it, or if they draw it, Espanyol will play in the second division. And I have to remember everyone that Espanyol is one of these teams that hasn't been in the second division since the Bosman law came in place. Uh, Atletico de Madrid, Sevilla, Betis, Deportivo, They've been in the second division since then, but Espanyol always managed to to save themselves and to stay in the top flight. That's where Pochettino is next year. Pochettino going to take Espanyol back <laughs> to La Liga. That game, 9 o'clock UK time on Wednesday. Fabulous. We'll hear what happens in that and so much more in next week's show. Many thanks for now, though, to Alvaro, to James, Julien and Rafa, producer Charlie, and most of all, you listener. We'll be back on Thursday with a regular totally football show perhaps you'll join us for that for now though from all of us here it's goodbye 
You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Muddy Knees Media.